3: Welcome to the camera podcast, pubs, pints and people.
4: Well, hello, fellow cider drinkers. Uh, this week we're scrumping, scrutting, and pressing our way into the heart of ciderland to learn all about real cider and perry. As ever, I'm not alone. Katie and Matt are here
3: too. We agreed you're going to do that accent throughout. That's a good way to get <laughs> all of the cider makers on board. I always think.
5: Camera's been campaigning for over 30 years to support the production and availability of real cider and perry. We've got cider month every May and October, so happy cider month, guys. Woohoo! <laughs> which is when we try and celebrate cider we try and encourage people to go out and order cider and in Paris to highlight the natural cycle of the apple orchards they start blooming in may and then it's ready for harvest in october so it's very tied with the orchards and the natural cycle of things
3: now as regular listeners know i've been really excited about this topic as a cider fan and a failed cider maker cider is so unique because in a way it's such a simple drink there's just apple which you need to get the juice out of and ferment but actually it's an incredibly complicated process there's so many different parts of it to learn as we'll talk about in the interviews today so many different types of flavors of apples from bittersweet all the way through to sharp and even on one tree of one particular type of apple you can get a completely different taste for the different years that you get your harvest so it's one of those things where it's a completely natural product that's so difficult to nail down and make into a consistent one but that's the beauty of it in that it's beautiful and it's force of nature that can't be control.
4: What about you Katie? We know that Matt's obviously a massive cider fan but are you, you know is it is it your drink of choice? Where, where are you at with cider?
5: It really depends. Some ciders I really like when they've got that lovely oaky taste to it but I don't like other ones that are almost too sweet or almost too dry and it's really hard for me to even describe them because we just don't have the same language that we do for beer to describe what type of styles we like. I know it when I see it but it's so hard to explain that to other people which I think is a huge issue for cider and in general. As Matt says, it changes so much year by year, so you can't necessarily go back to the same exact brand or the same tree and expect the same thing again.
4: Yeah, do you know what? I think I'm probably more with you than I am on Matt with this. It's not that I dislike the drink, it's just that, like you, it's not something I would naturally gravitate to when I see it at the bar, you know, smack my hands in shame with that one. It's not that I dislike it, as you say, it's just I feel a little uncomfortable at times with what I am ordering. But, you know, this is a beauty, and we'll find this out in the interviews today, that there's nothing wrong we're trying it before you buy it.
5: One thing I found very fun when I was doing this interview, got involved in the actual harvest, went out there, collected the apples from the trees, washed them off, helped with the press and taking out all the little bits that you didn't want to go in the press and all that. And it is actually really hard kind of manual labour. I have a whole new appreciation. It's a huge labour of love. It's not taking, by the way, shaking the apples. I picked them from the ground. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Were you wearing a straw hat and dungarees, Katie Wiles? <laughs>
5: No, but I did get to drive on a tractor when I was there, which was quite fun.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we're really looking forward to this one. I definitely find it hard to work out what to order in the bar. I've already said that. And when it comes to cider and perry, all I know is that if you order it in Japan, you'll get a drink not too dissimilar to lemonade because it's actually a soft drink over there. Now, interviews are going to share more. This week, Alex Metcalf, our Alex, love him, is going to be speaking with cider maker Tom Oliver for our Learning and Discover section. And then Katie's sitting down with Susanna Forbes, the cider producer and editor of Full Juice magazine, as well as Elizabeth Pimlet, curator of the Cider Museum in Hereford. So bear in mind that both interviews were conducted pre-lockdown. Katie is
3: not camped out still in the Cider Museum in Hereford in isolation be a lovely place to self-isolate. Just go around <laughs> shaking apples off the trees, taking what you need from the ground. It could be fantastic.
4: Now, before we jump into the interviews, we really want to just say heartfelt thanks to everyone who's been in touch, who's rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcast, And of course, for those of you who submitted your Lockdown Heroes to win that tasting with Lottie peplo that we mentioned last week, we hope that our 15 lucky winners enjoy their tasting and learn a little bit more about those American brews.
5: I actually made a nomination for one of the licensees of a pub owned by by Robertson's Brewery. The Bull's Head and Hale's Barn is actually offering free accommodation for NHS staff at the local hospital, which I thought was really fantastic. So their general manager, Nikki Lee, I think should definitely get a tasting.
4: <laughs> Absolute legend status. There were a few other good ones as well. I mean, there's one here for Stephen Hines, who's been working as an NHS paramedic and educator, as well as being a medical volunteer at the GBBF. We've got the Strand in Exmouth. They've created a food bank at the pub to support the Friends in Need charity.
3: And we've got the Checkers in Aylesford, which is delivering 150 free meals a week to vulnerable, disabled and isolated OAPs in the community.
5: And there's also McMullen's Brewery, which has been helping NHS workers with a drive-through and contactless services for fresh goods and groceries at its Hartford Brewery.
4: So lots of nominations Thank you so much for those folks Because you know, if nothing else It just is so refreshing to see That there are still so many people out there Making a difference So we've got another competition
3: this week Courtesy of Carl's Games Who are offering a huge range of board games To keep people entertained during lockdown I think we're all into board games now They're the only thing keeping the country going And they're offering one lucky winner A free board game It's a perfect fit for the podcast Because the game is called Home Brewer And it's a game where you create your own recipe brew your beer and enter competitions such as oktoberfest
4: all you've got to do to enter is leave us a review and drop us a line at podcast at camera.org.uk linking us to the review that you've left yeah this is an interesting one i can only assume that it's a family game and therefore you don't actually brew any real beer it's very hypothetical (laughs) i've turned many board games into drinking games so i'm sure i could convert this one quite easily bring
5: your own beer (laughs) (laughs) right I want to learn more
3: about making cider, see if I can get a little bit better at it. So let's head over to our first interview now. It's Alex, our Learn and Discover Manager, and he's sitting down with cider producer Tom Oliver.
5: Learn and Discover.
2: I'm Alex Metcalf, Camera's Learning and Discovery Manager. This week on our Learn and Discover section, we are at Camera's Manchester Beer and Cider Festival, where we are currently running a discovery zone. I'm sitting down with Tom Oliver, an award-winning cider and producer from Herefordshire. Tom, can you tell us how you got into cider making?
1: I got into cider making because I think as a drinker of cider, which is really was for all my youth and going into through my teenage years, going away to college, drinking actually a lot of devon cider then moving on afterwards i didn't really embrace beer i always stuck with cider but Mm -hmm. i hadn't really got an inclination particularly to make it myself then just enjoy drinking it but then as time went on something it's it's a it's a it's like a bug or something it just gets you and you start going you know what i live in an area where bittersweet cider apples have been grown for for decades now if not a century or so and the opportunity to make cider is there, and I met a few like-minded people, two different groups of people, started making cider with them, uh, just a couple of weekends a year, enough for our own use through the year. As a cider sort of as a hobby, almost yeah, as well. Yeah, and it just, it just set the scene for me. And from there, I just think it was the taste of a Kevin Minchu Perry that made me realize that Cider and Perry could be something else, something beyond what I had experienced at of it so far.
2: And so uh, how long have you been making cider for now?
1: We started making cider, and the way I look at it is, the definition is for sale. So we started in uh, 1998, 99, uh, making cider for sale. So we're up to 21, 22 years now. And uh, we are seeing things moving in a positive upward direction both in terms of volume and interest but in terms of for me as a business in you know an increasing ability to see the viability and the sustainability of this which is really what excites me that was the challenge from the word go but it's really really exciting now to see the growth of interest in it the understanding by me of where our opportunities lie and events like coming up here to the Manchester Beer and Cider Festival and doing this talk and seeing People start to just get a real enthusiasm and understanding for cider is, is for me, what it's all about. There's a huge passion for it here. It, certainly is, it? it certainly is.
2: Can you tell us a bit about your orchards and uh, paint us a picture of, of, of where you work and a typical day in the life of a cider producer? Oh,
1: okay. So uh, the, the last part of the question is the easy one. There is no typical day. I think that's half the attraction to the maverick characters that get attracted to cider there is nothing repeatable on a day-to-day basis. It's extraordinary. You have to become a master of so many different things, and you need to understand the seasons, land, weather conditions and climate, fruit and fruit growing, how you treat trees, varieties, technical aspect of harvest and the mechanical aspect of harvest, how to press and have the right equipment. And I think it's an extraordinary set of disciplines for any one individual to have to Come across and deal with but as a cider maker that's what you have to deal with so we're in one of the predominantly biggest apple growing areas of the world actually in herefordshire which is the final county before you move into wales it's a very beautiful part of the country we don't have particularly dramatic uh, mountains or valleys or anything like that it's more undulating
2: What are the key differences between cider and peri?
1: Uh, The the ciders that you will come across will hopefully be made entirely from apples. Uh, Those uh, in our area of Herefordshire and uh, ciders made in Herefordshire tend to be featuring cider apples, which have a certain element of tannin about them. And this tannin is something that gives body and mouthfeel to your cider, as well as a touch of astringency and maybe a hint of bitterness. It's all about giving you cider character. The the peri will be made from pears. And once again, these will be pears grown specially to make peri. They won't be eating pears or anything like that. And- So
2: not necessarily something they'd recognize in the supermarket? Not
1: something you would ever see in the supermarket. I've never seen a peri pear in the supermarket. And I, I think we're unlikely to.
2: What ingredients go into cider?
1: It's just cider apples. I don't have a problem with people who, in order to make something they think is really good, want to add a little bit of water, they want to add some sugar to back-sweeten it, they want to add some juice to back-sweeten it, they, you know, they want to blend different apples, cider apples, and eating apples, that's fine, as long as they're wanting to make a drink that tastes really good. The challenge is to consistently make it so that it fulfills both your and your drinker's expectations on a seasonal basis. It's not as straightforward as one thinks, because you know, the apples that uh, we use in terms of cider apples they tend to be from biennial orchards, which means they'll have an on-year and an off-year, a lot of fruit one year not much the next. Over time, you learn how to deal with that.
2: What do you think makes cider and perry so special and that's garnering such interest at the moment?
1: One of the things that always has fascinated me is that everyone grows up and they think they know what cider is. Uh, You know, oh, yeah, I know cider. And it usually has a story attached to it. Or, yeah, it's in the UK, it's been Strongbow, or it might have been Woodpecker, or it might have been GL, wherever you were. Or, oh, I know what cider is. And yet, what people perceive or think cider is, it's nothing like the cider that so many small craft-based producers and orchard-based producers are making nowadays. And what we're offering you is a wonderful chance to relearn and get new experiences from drinking cider, drinking Perry, and it's so not what you might think it is
2: how did cider and Perry production become so central to west country traditions
1: so though we are quite capable of growing horticultural produce and uh, we got the good land for it and everything uh, normally what we grew had to be preserved in some way and then shipped at a later date and obviously that shipping side of things Meant needed to go beyond horse drawn because shaking cider up and down on a, in a barrel or whatever, on a horse going to London was <laughs> a bit like So we need the canals to come through, etc., etc., at least break the journey up. So it may have got to the Cotswolds on uh, horse and cart, but after that it went on a barge up the Thames and things like that. So th- that's one of the reasons. Cider is something suitable to be made further away. And then once that starts, You have the agricultural land and you have expertise from particular growers. It just so happens that the people that seem to champion cider apples and peri pears in the UK, and this is historically since the 1600s, seem to be all around Herefordshire. Geographically, it's suitable. The skills are there. Historically, that's the reason it happens. Where
2: do people start? If someone has never tried cider or peri before, where do you suggest they start?
1: It's good to start people with things that they... Don't even consider that they might like. So, if you can glean from somebody that they enjoy a, a good white wine, then you really should step forward with a good dry cider and let them appreciate a, a cider without sweetness masking the fruit and everything. Because for a number of people, they'll go, Oh, God, that's awful. I can't deal with that. I, it's too dry, or no, it's too challenging. But there will be people who go, I no idea cider could be like this because they've never had the chance to have a still. Dry cider. They've only had fizzy sweet ciders. So, this, re- if we're going to rethink cider, it's got to be got to be good ciders that are stocked. It's got to be stocked and labelled correctly, and then it's got to be sold and talked about with people who have a degree of understanding to guide people through the big range.
2: What are the basics terms to look out for, sell on a particular style that they might enjoy?
1: Oh, OK. They have to, I think, first off, be accepting of where they might be in the country. So if uh, some books are tasting with me and comes to the farm and uh, we sit around with a, a dozen different ciders and perries to taste, they are not going to get fruit-forward, acid-driven Kentish ciders, because we're in Hereford with bittersweet ciders. And likewise, you go to Kent, you're not going to get... Heavy, bittersweet, tannic side. So you just you need to be cognizant of where you go and gauge your expectations around the reality of what's being uh, made there. So it's a it's a bit like going to um, somebody who has beef cattle and asking for for a sausage, a year sausage sandwich made from pork. You're not going to get it. Uh, but you know when when you when you're tasting things, think about what it reminds you of or what it hints of, and and don't don't be afraid about what you're thinking or what you want to say, but just say it because frequently these things are valid. That, that, that if if your experience is old socks, it's old socks. It, some of the greatest wines in the world, uh, people are experiencing old socks and it doesn't make them bad wines or or cheap wines. It is it is whatever your experience is. But it's to have that experience and try and share it and try and put it into words. It's no longer for me good enough to say, hmm, that's nice.
2: As people get more into drinking cider and perry, get more experience with it, they they will come across terms like you know, acid and, and tannin that you've been using today. But even once they take that on board, it's important not to lose what they're actually tasting and what they prefer. What would be your the cider or perry that you've it's either been quirky or interesting, and where can we find it?
1: In all honesty, the biggest challenge for us is making great perry. Uh, some of my finest bottled perrys are the things that I'm fiercely proud of because I know how awkward they have been to make I know how much effort we have to put into making them but I love the look on people's faces when they they're just drinking something that they had no idea how rewarding that experience of drinking that uh, perry would be so perries are always great triumph learn and
5: discover
1: I love
4: that if you're tasting old socks you're drinking old socks definitely I've used that quite a lot of times in my cider
3: making it's quite appropriate for what I
4: You know, Tom alludes to cider being a well established drink here, which is absolutely true, because in fact, the UK has the world's highest per capita consumption of cider, as well as being the largest cider producing country with lots of big companies. I also like the idea of urging those partial to a good dry white wine to give cider a try. I
5: loved what he was talking about when it comes to Perry being such a delight for cider makers. I learned that firsthand when I went to Susanna's Orchard it's actually describing Perries as total diva fruits and I think that really hit home to me how hard it is because she just said one year you can get an amazing Perry tree filled with fruit and the next year nothing. So it's quite a special treat to get a really good Perry out of their orchard. Do
4: you find but your trees are biennial, Matt.
5: Well, I've only been
3: growing them for two years because I used to use somebody else's trees that were well established. <laughs> we use so, scrump in Matt day. Yeah, so the, the, I think I got about five fruit off them last time. So I always end up using other people's. But I've got a very rare apple in there, which has a fantastic name. It's called Slack McGirdle. And that one apparently is very hard. Sometimes can even can skip two years. It's very temperamental. So that's a diva fruit as well, I would say.
5: Now, if you're craving a real cider, don't forget to visit our Pulling Together pages. We've got a whole map dedicated to cider makers offering delivery or takeaway services. Probably a bit of a heavy concentration in Kent and Hereford, but have a look. See if you can find somewhere nearby to tempt you with a fantastic real cider or perry during lockdown.
4: Next on the show, we're going back to Sue Nowak. Now, we introduced you to Sue last week. She is essentially the Delia Smith of Canberra and provides us with delicious recipes that include lots of beers and ciders and perries. This week, we've got a red onion tart glazed with IPA to share.
3: This week, she kicks off by lamenting the chief medical officer's comments that we sadly had this week, saying that pubs are going to be some of the furthest down the line for businesses that are going to be getting back to normal. Might even be Christmas.
4: You're then being trend again because you've just finished Christmas ales, so you can get your... (laughs) That's (laughs) true, that's true. I'll
3: be drinking a light summer golden ale just in time for December. So, So as you're all now shedding a tear, let's start peeling onions. Might as well yeah Uh, this is one of her favorite recipes simple yet elegant beer hoppiness balanced by caramelized onion sweetness Uh, she's included the recipe in her beer cookbook some 20 years ago there weren't that many indian pale ales around at the time but today there's so many fine ones and so you spoke for choice and they'll be perfect on an
4: onion tart oh i love this the full recipe folks is available in the show notes if you want to try it out and as ever Share a picture with us. We didn't did we get any collops last week?
5: I haven't seen any collops.
4: <laughs> so you, you, you've been shy showing us your collops, but show us your tarts and see how you go.
3: <laughs> now without further delay, let's go over to our next interview where Katie got to go to the Cider Museum in Hereford and sit down with Elizabeth Pimlet, who's the curator, and Susanna Forbes, who's the producer of Little Pomoma Cider. Desert Island Cider?
5: I'm just sitting in the Museum of Cider in Hereford with a curator Elizabeth Pimblett and local cider producer Susanna Forbes. Hello. Hello. Hi, Ben. Thank you for joining. I think we're going to just start off with our Desert Island Cider this week. So can you tell me about your favourite cider? Wow, that's such a big thing. I think uh, it depends where I am or anything, but one of my favourites at the
6: moment is Flaky Bark Perry so we're going straight over to Perry, but it's a really fun one from Ross on Wine Cider. And what also makes it special is, I think there's only six flaky bark trees mm. left, isn't it? Is that? Did you hear that? I did hear that. Yeah. Even as many as six, I'm not sure. I know it's very rare. What I love about it is it's got delicate texture. It's got a little bit of depth. It's got some sort of a light citrus, but more like grapefruit citrus than marmalady citrus so if anyone can find that one it's well well worth it and i think they're going to make some again
7: this year brilliant and how about yourself elizabeth i have to say that since i've been here and i've been here for three years uh-huh. my tastes have definitely changed when i first came here and we had a meeting of the three counties cider and perry association everybody brought their latest product and they were discussing them around the table, and it, that was a complete eye-opener for me, and there were things that I thought, when they are being praised highly, I found them really challenging. Mm. And then as the years have gone on, my taste buds have changed, and I, I like a deep red, lovely fruity red wine, um, and I do tend to now gravitate towards things like what we have here, so this is, this is my favourite. If you come to our museum shop, this is my favourite in our shop the Oliver's Gold Rush Dry, which is a collaboration with Ryan Burke of Angry Orchard. And Tom Oliver was one of the first people that I was introduced to Mm. when I came to
5: the museum. Brilliant, we're lucky enough to be able to try it here. So Susanna, if you can do the honours. I'd absolutely love to. So Tom is a very important
6: person in our region. He's so generous with his time and everything. And he takes such care make sure that the fruit speaks through but he loves to do collaborations doesn't he it's one of the things and this is a transatlantic collaboration even it's also number seven in the series so you know there's something to look forward to
5: <laughs> and whilst we're just getting these poured elizabeth can you tell us a bit about where we're sitting right now <laughs> well we're on a pub
7: bench but <laughs> we're not in a pub So um, this is the Women and the Art of Cider exhibition, which opened just on the 4th of October and uh, at which we launched something very important, which I think we'll be talking about later. Mm -hmm. And um, this this bit is meant to represent the input that women have had as landladies and as drinkers, Mm -hmm. but it's a fairly chronological approach to unearthing the role of cider women who have made cider throughout the Mm -hmm. centuries starting from medieval times and it's a story that has just seemed to have been lost
5: over the years. Mm, I thought you had to do a bit of digging, <laughs> <laughs> find the women in the pictures. <laughs> and yes, it
7: and it was incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And So um, the moment when we actually found a photograph of one of the illustrators of the Pomona, uh, my, my volunteers and I were thrilled. So yeah. it's it's been very rewarding. So we've been trying to put the names and the faces back and yeah. just not, um, no, we're not rewriting history because it was there all the time, but just pulling out elements that have been yeah. overlooked.
5: Brilliant, and I can smell the cider. Mm. Perry
7: This is no, we're on a cider, cider. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This
0: is
6: gold, seven. I think we should have a little taste. Yeah, you? definitely. Yeah.
5: What is it? What's the cheers? The cider cheers?
6: Wasail. 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 <laughs> Wasail. And then drink ale. Actually, I think that's almost autumn in a glass. Mm. Mm. There's some That's what I said to him actually. <laughs> yes, yes, really. yes. It's amazing. See, there, it, oh, it's such fun because there's there's some baked apple in there. There's mm. a little bit, a hint of spice. I bet you some of it's seen a little bit of oak. Um, mm. So, but you've got very natural sparkle. The, the bubbles very fine. So it just kind of lifts off. I think what I love about his ciders, you can enjoy them on your own, on their own, or with food. Mm. You know, he just kind of, he knows how to
7: coax the best. Brilliant. Yeah. And a lovely, elegant, small bottle. So you really feel that you're getting something a bit special. You're not quaffing down huge pints. This is, this is, you know, quality. And actually, it's lovely, actually, if you, if you don't, yeah, if you're on your own and you don't want to drink a huge amount, you feel that you've got a bit of a treat there. <laughs>
5: Fantastic. Well, Susanna is a local producer. that's yes. expanded re- very recently. Yes. Um, Elizabeth is a curator yep. brought together by an interest in shared love and cider. What, what brought both of you, I guess, to this very unique drink? I think it was as a drinks journalist,
6: I was covering all drinks. And then when I came to Herefordshire and I was looking at both beer and cider. And then as a journalist, you always love to uncover something that people don't know about. And I just found that here. Mm-hmm. There was just amazing flavours and when you got speaking to people like Tom Oliver and also Mike Johnson over at Ross on My Cider and then they not only listen to what you what drinks you might like normally then they bring you in and then they share with you all the different apples that they know about and how they make it and then they show you how they do a blend and, and it, so it's also the community that mm. brought me here uh, because there's wonderful apples all around the world, isn't there? Mm. Um, I love something with texture. I love tannins. I love acidity. And here you've
7: you've really got everything. So and cider is so integral to Herefordshire, isn't it? Yes. Well, I was born, brought up here, and spent most of my childhood climbing apple trees in our orchard. But I didn't really really didn't analyse cider. It was just something that was always around. And when this job came up. I thought, well, that sounds quite interesting. And I was interested in food history, so I thought, you know, it's an obvious connection. So actually finding out so much and falling in love with cider and being so welcomed by the cider community has been a huge just, just gift, really. Mm-hmm. So I came as a museum curator, and I've been turned into a cider aficionado, really. <laughs>
5: <laughs> You've recently launched a group called Women in Cider. Can you tell me what that's about?
7: Yes, we're
6: so thrilled to have... Uh brought this about. Uh, The idea's kind of been in the background for a little while but I think it was crystallised when we had CraftCon Mm, Oh, this year wasn't it? Mm. Um, This was the three county Cider and Perry Association held a day long conference for craft cider makers and it was among uh, among the first time we'd all had a chance to get together because we were all so dispersed and for some people it's like a second job and things like that. But it was amazing to have a chance to meet everyone. And we felt that even more so, the women among us. Um, I think there was 15 to 20 different cider makers or people involved. And we realized that actually, there's so much we can, we can do together. There are a couple of other, uh, if you like, role models, POM Boots over in the States. It's a Facebook group, but it's very practical. There's over 300 members and uh, they help you, it's a supportive space, you can find out more, you can network. Mm. And I've personally seen it in the beer world over here as well, mm.
7: Deo Lattice, I've really learnt a lot. Everybody was just so um, enthused, you could see that there was a real need. Um, mm. You can actually see that, the, I've used the picture, the CraftCon picture um, in the exhibition, and that moment, just when we were all drawn together, I don't think up till then people probably really articulated, I really want a sport network, but somehow just coming together made us all feel that there was so much to gain and so much to learn. Mm. And um, yes, yeah, so, and then the other cider makers that we um, have that have come on board uh, and cider promoters like mm. Kath, have got so much energy
5: and so many shared experiences. So yeah, it's very beneficial. Mm. Why do you think it's important we need a cider and women group specifically now? I think it's important for now, but it's also important for the future.
6: I think we need to raise the profile of women in cider, otherwise people just don't realise that we're there. It, It happens all the time. As a journalist, you might see a couple, and then inevitably you speak to the bloke, whereas actually the woman is just as involved. I found that a little bit when I was researching the feature I did for Camera's Beer Magazine. You have to look a bit further. I also found that in recruiting judges for the World Cider Awards, I just had to look a little bit further, but it just takes a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And then we can uh then we can have role models. We can also offer support. I'd love to think that when your daughter grows up, she might have a chance to think about whether you know, an orcharding career or, mm. uh, or time with with cider or anything, I think that would be fun.
5: Mm. And looking to the past, uh, you've obviously been doing quite a bit of research into the role of women in cider making. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> uh, I was just, whilst you were talking, Suzanne, mm. I was just looking across
7: at that scratter over there, mm. which was Jean Knowles, who is a very important local craft cider maker. She was a she was a woman, really, in a man's world, she was forging a path. And she then educated and trained up. She was, like so many side makers, so generous in sharing their knowledge. And uh, so we don't want to forget her legacy. We want to keep building on her legacy. But also it's lovely to look back and realise that she wasn't just a one-off. There is a whole history of women being involved. And so I think it gives us a a bit of sense of um, purpose and a validation that they were actually doing it in Tudor times as well.
5: Fantastic. Um, and what would you say to somebody who doesn't like cider, know anything about cider? How do they get their foot in the door and learn a bit more? We would say that there's a cider for everyone. Yeah. There really will be ciders yeah. that you
6: don't enjoy because it's such a diverse field. But it may be that you don't enjoy like the tannic rich ones that we've got here, but you might enjoy. Like a a dessert apple one. A Kentish one. Uh, Exactly, a Kentish one. So just have to try and ask for little sips. And that's one of the fun things about cider.
3: Desert Island
4: Cider. One thing I want to say about this interview is it was so intimate. I loved it. (laughs) Those two could read me bedtime stories. Where were you? Tell us where you were, because I I really couldn't picture it when I listened to it.
5: We were sitting in the Cider Museum after hours, so they had opened it up especially to give me a little tour in the evening, which was really fun. So it's got this beautiful museum. They had a whole section about women in cider, and Elizabeth had done all this amazing work in trying to find the history in these pictures of women as cider makers, because they have been incredibly involved in it over the years, but they're just conveniently cut out of the pictures and the (laughs) storytelling Details, but she was able to extract these details as part of this whole Cider Women initiative that they launched last year. So we were sitting in this little pub area looking at all of these pictures that she'd extracted, and it was just a surreal experience. I remember
3: getting quite lost after my visit there, but well, that was because the gift shop was so full of amazing ciders. It wasn't walking straight all the way home. I went on a cider farm tour around the area. Was, that's how I spend my holidays, you know. <laughs> lockdown times. I like Forget her.
4: Corfu for two weeks, take me around Hereford.
3: Yeah, take me around there. <laughs> and I just think it's a wonderful place. There's so many orchards around there. I was actually going there with a guy who runs an orchard who was called Peter Branch, which I always thought was nice as well. It's always a rich place for stories as a rich place for cider. Do you
4: know what? History is such a key word for this one and it's so evident in both of the interviews that we've had. And actually, here's another fun fact I've picked up for the show this week. Did you know that from the 13th to the 17th centuries in Europe, drinking cider was safer than water with a quarter of people's wages being actually paid in cider. It's also believed that babies were even baptised in it because it was safer than water and more sanitary. Now I wet my head with a bit of old Rosie.
5: Here's another little historical fun fact for you guys. When I was at the Cider Museum I learned that cider producers back in the days obviously used things like the skin and the seeds and the peel to help the fermentation process and they actually used to also knock rats running around and to the cider bats to give the fermentation that extra little kick so that was uh, quite eye opening
3: <laughs> I think I'll, I'll give that a go it can't make it taste much worse <laughs>
4: probably makes it a bit fizzy. I love that they've knocked them in sort of like rather than Peter's going oh, oh whoops oh he fell in by mistake on purpose yeah. accidentally
3: <laughs> they, they draw them in for the tour they say come on rats come for a special tour then pow you're
4: in <laughs> you can imagine the Pad Piper wasn't impressed when he went round there the last time <laughs> he was employed by them
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: with his flute it is amazing isn't it how long cider has been part of our tradition and history, especially in the West Country. Now, for our digging into the archives this week, we've got a copy of What's Brewing from October 1988 in front of us. And what was interesting about this particular publication is it was the year that the Apple Committee was formed. Not Apple as in Apple Mac, but Apple as in Apple. Sounds like a kind of a secret
3: agency, doesn't it? So we're looking at a four-page spread for a cider supplement that's following an AGM vote to form this committee. And it reads that the newly formed Apple Committee is tasked with taking on Cider's apparent image problem. I don't know what they're on about. All cider (laughs) drinkers and producers are very respectable people. But it says here that the popular concept of a traditional cider drinker is of a scarlet-faced bumpkin pickling himself on ten pints of scrumpy a night. Nothing wrong with that. It says, alternatively, it's a gang of city youths on holiday at a West Country resort who get paralytic on the unexpectedly strong local cider and wreak havoc as a result.
4: Do you know what I also love about this particular publication of What's Brewing is there's a little ad at the back for Simmons, and they've listed in the had all of the USPs, the unique selling points for drinking their cider, humor me while well, I read some of these. So it says drink some cider because it's got less calories. It's made from English apples, so quite patriotic, I quote. They also mentioned that it's got natural ingredients, so it's a very healthy drink, which is funny considering that in the 19th century, cider was actually advertised as a cure for the gout. And Matt, you'll like this one, says that it's a postmodern drink in Europe. 1988, postmodern.
3: All the hipsters back then were into the
5: postmodern drinks. <laughs> Camera's actually been campaigning ever since. When I first started at Camera, I worked with the Apple Committee to present a petition to Downing Street to support small cider producers. And we met with the the European Commissioner, about some issues facing them.
4: Well, with that, folks, I'm going to ding the bell. It's time for Last Orders. (coughs) Last Orders. Right, last order's time. Ding dong. What have we all been drinking this week?
5: I've had a little bottle, actually quite a big bottle from Little Pomona, scrolled away for a special occasion. So I thought I'd bring that out for cider month. And it's actually one that I bottled myself when I was down there using the champagne style method. It's a really nice big table bottle, like a wine that's good to share. The presentation's lovely. It's very dry and sparkly. So I was very impressed with that this week.
3: Well, as I told you a few weeks ago, I ran out of all the ones I've been keeping in my shed for my cider trips. So I had some lovely Borough Hill cider that was in there but this week I've actually been cheating on English apples and I've been going for a South African brand it's called Scully it was in Gabe Cook's and tasting it made from Granny Smith apples which I thought was interesting so I don't need to go to all this buffer growing all these special apples just get some Granny Smith <laughs> off them in in the grinder and I could be done.
4: I've been a bit of a, a sickler for the marketing this week and I actually as part of the big shop earlier on bought myself a two litre bottle of of Old Rosie in the jar with the little handle on it. I
5: thought um, you were going to say strong bow for a minute when you said two litre. <laughs> I would oh, never <laughs> do
4: such a thing. And I bought this big bottle and I thought, oh, I love the design. And so I thought, well, I want to, I'm drinking out of a mason jar as well, because that seems to be the mm-hmm. thing to do. But of course, the problem was that it's strong, isn't it? And I forget this. And as being a real old drinker, cider's pretty much twice as strong. And I remember sitting on the sofa and my wife looking at me going, are you OK? And I says, I think so, but I'm going to go to bed now. And when I came down, I pretty much had half the bottle, so naughty me. But it was delicious.
5: Are we converted? Are we all cider fans now?
4: Do you know what? I think I'll drink anything once the pub's open again, Wilesie. I agree. now don't forget to tune in next week with us folks when we're going to be learning all about women in beer Alex will be sitting down with Jane LeBlonde from Mothership Brewery to find out about the challenges facing female brewers and Katie sits down with Annabelle Smith, beer sommelier and founder of Dayalartis.
3: Okay and my traditional quote to end this week I've decided to mangle the words of the great Eric Idle with a quote that's on a lot of pubs down in Somerset on my cider tours and that is always luck on the bright side a life. Ah.
5: Great. So we're going to end the show now with our traditional cheers to say thank you to NHS, the key workers, and our listeners. However, we will replace cheers with wassail, which is the traditional
0: cider cheers.
5: Wassail!
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
7: How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free, courtesy of our pals at Beer52, by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 5, 2 in the 52. And covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers.
1: Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world. And this month, it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent.
7: So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia Poland, Germany, Serbia, and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light only case. Also included is the ever insightful Ferment Magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time.
2: So head over to
1: www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.